Christianity.com. It's messed up this morning because my iPad was upside down. It does auto-rotate, but all my buttons are mixed up. So, good morning, everyone. Oh, come on. Good morning, everyone. Hey, there we go. A little bit of life. Thanks, Dee. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we are uh, continuing along in our, uh, our series in First and Second Samuel. Uh, we're in week seven. So we've been rolling along a little bit. Um, uh, but this is kind of also part three, the final part of a sort of trilogy. And uh, the last few weeks have kind of gone together with some unusual, odd stories. Um, so I need to kind of recap those a little bit before we dive in to the text and what happens in our chapter today. So over the last two weeks, we talked about this. The people of Israel had attacked the Philistines, who, were, uh, who, who are constantly sort of their nemesis in the land over, over a couple hundred years. Um, they lost the battle. They lost 4,000 soldiers in that battle. So they, they asked the question, like, why did this happen to us? But what they decided they needed to do about it was to take their most sacred holy object, the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence literally dwelt, and to take that into battle with them as a sort of good luck charm. This time, they lose again, but now the Philistines killed 30,000 of their soldiers. Right? So the battle was even worse. Along with that, the sons of the high priest and the high priest himself ended up uh, dying, and the Philistines captured the Ark of God, right? their most valued possession, uh, religious, religiously anyways. Uh, and God's glory went with that. So God was no longer with his people, Israel. The Philistine army took the Ark, and they put it in the temple of their idol and false god, Dagon. Now when they woke up the next day, they find the statue laying on the ground, the statue of Dagon. They set it back up, but the morning after that, it's knocked over again, this time with the pieces of its hands and head uh, shattered. <laughs> like They still don't get the clue that God is not happy with them. <laughs> He's trying to give them a message, so he gives them a plague of tumors and mice that ravage their city and surrounding territory. Now, we talked about these tumors last week, apparently what God gave them was this, the archaic term is emeralds and what we now call hemorrhoids, right? Uh, but a pretty ravaging state of that. Now, I've had some conversations over the last week about this. There are scholars, and I should have maybe pointed this out last week, there are some scholars who feel that these tumors were something else, that they were boils, that they were piles, that they were the bubonic plague, right? There's different theories but the language in the verse also seems to imply that it was something that was happening to them in the secret parts of their body. And that's what clued them in that the gods were not happy with them, or at least one particular god, uh, the only one that actually existed. Uh, so I'm going to double down on that, saying uh, hemorrhoids is what they had. <laughs> but more importantly, Bob said it was the best message ever last week because we talked about hemorrhoids in church. So, you know... We have, no, I, oh, was that, was it Rachel? Yeah, I, I don't think it was Rachel, Bob. I, I said it, I think it was Bob. Uh, so, you know, you make of that of what you will, uh, but Bob said it was awesome because we talked about hemorrhoids. So we're going to stick with that. Anyway, uh, so God plagues them with these tumors and mice 
So they move the ark from city to city, and the plague follows. They decided they needed to send it back, but they also needed to appease God. Because it wasn't going to be enough just to get rid of this ark. That didn't mean that the God of Israel was going to be any happier with them. So they decided to appease God. They put the ark on a wooden cart, send two cows back to Israel, along with the ark and a box containing numerous golden mice and five golden tumors, one for each of their city-states. And the people of Israel in Beth Shemesh uh, receive that. They sacrifice the cows on an altar made from the wood of the cart, and they receive the gold objects. The Philistines' leaders return home, probably relieved that it's over for them, but it's not over for Israel. They rejoiced to see the ark so much so that they made this big spectacle of it. Right? And instead of storing the ark in the tabernacle as God commanded, they gathered to see it. Right? And, and, and from the text it appears, they opened it up and took a look at the contents that were inside of this. This is all against God's commands of how they were supposed to treat this object and where his presence was. So they still refused to treat God and this sacred object as they should. And God was not pleased, and it says that 50,070 men died as a result. All right, so there's a lot going on that's led up to where we're picking up this morning. And we're picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, and then we'll work our way into chapter 7. 1 Samuel 6, 20. Then the men of Beth Shemesh, these are the people who received the ark, said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? Right? Now their response to the deaths that occurred is significant. Right? They failed to see that it wasn't just some random, like they thought it was just some random fit of rage of God that was throwing down some sort of wrath on them. But it was their sin and disobedience that he was punishing because he was trying to correct them. But they didn't pay attention to that. They just keep moving along on their wayward path. Right? So they're like, who's able to stand before the Lord? Who, who shall, uh, whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Like as if maybe they hadn't heard because of the men that had died. Uh, but, but here's what's interesting. God acts on them with great force, but instead of repenting, they do exactly what the Philistines did. They just send it to another city. Right? They're acting just like the unbelieving people in this situation. Then we get to chapter 7, verse 1. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. Right? So the, they send men to get it, but not priests like they should have. Kiriath-Jerim apparently was not this like a Levite city, a city of priests. So instead of calling on the priests of Israel to come and do what they're supposed to do, they just deputize the man's son as priest to look after the ark. Like, they really just didn't get it. They didn't want to follow God the way he was supposed to, he was supposed to be followed. And they, they basically stick the ark in a man's private home. Verse 2, From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, 
a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now think about that, 20 years. This is, again, the most sacred object of the people of God, and they just allow it to be stuck in some house somewhere. And so the presence of God and the ark itself was kept under wraps, kind of went into obscurity instead of being kept in the tabernacle where it belonged. But something happens during those two decades that this takes place. It says that they once again begin to lament or hunger for the Lord. Right? And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, it would still be another 26 years before David brings the ark to Jerusalem. We'll read about that when we get there and later on in 1 Samuel. Uh, we'll read about that down the road. But it takes 20 years for people to begin to long for the Lord once again. And notice that it's this time, it's not the ark they're longing over. They're not lamenting over the ark. They're longing for and lamenting for God, God himself. Now, it's likely that all throughout this time, Samuel, who is, of course, a prophet, everybody knows he's a prophet, is probably working tirelessly to help bring this kind of, uh, I guess, sort of revival or brokenness about all that time. And so the rest of chapter 7, then uh, Samuel's life kind of moves into the center stage. Verse 3, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Again, remember, Samuel's a prophet, right? He's speaking for God. And the whole nation knew that because in 1 Samuel 3, it said that the Lord is with him and let none of his words to the ground. And they knew that from Dan to Beersheba, which is you know, the north and the southern ends of the country. They, they knew that Samuel was speaking for God. You know, all this time had passed and they hadn't really been listening to him or seeking God as they should have. During that 20 years, the Philistines continued and other people continued to attack the tribes of Israel. They were still heavily oppressed. But, but here, there's a change of heart. And Samuel says, you want to come back to God? Direct your hearts to the Lord and he'll deliver you. Right? Because this is a message that they can count on. He tells them to do three things in this passage, in this verse, I should say. Um, There are three things that I want to pull out of this. It says, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods, direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him only. Okay? He, He tells them to first of all get rid of their idols, second, direct their hearts, and third, serve God alone. So we're going to look at each one of those three things. Because I think when it comes to getting right with God, even for us, we can learn lessons from this passage. Right? If we want to get right with God. Uh, The first thing, get rid of idols. Get rid of idols in our lives. Now here it says uh, they get rid of the Baals and the Ashtaroth. It refers to both the male and the female idols and false gods that they have been worshiping uh, throughout the land. And I want to point out that this, is, this might seem simple, right? Because these are false gods. They're idols. They're not really anything at all. Only the one true God is the true God. But what he's asking them to do is to get rid of those things. These are idols 
that they have, first of all, been wandering after and following. It's pulled them away from worshiping the one true God in the way that they should. But these idols also represented false gods that their oppressors considered sacred. Right? So to get rid of them is taking a strong stand. And it probably would be seen as like a hostile act of defiance. You know, if there's like a comparison to this, it might be like, I don't know, maybe something like the Boston Tea Party, right? Nope, we don't want your tea. Nope, we don't want your idols, is what these people would be saying to the nations around them. And Israel itself was underpowered against them, right? So what he's calling them to do is like no small task. But having God's favor, that was going to be such greater gain. Well, we too were called to rid ourselves of idols. Right? Anything that stands between us and God would be an idol. And while that's never going to be easy, having God's favor is such a greater gain. And the, the reality is, is that we're going to have to get brutally honest about the idols in our life if we're ever going to get rid of them, right? Whatever they are. And uh, in a little bit, we'll be having some prayer time uh, this morning. We're going to spend some time in prayer about these things that we're talking about. Um, and take a few minutes where we can examine our hearts about that. What are the idols in our lives? What is standing in the way? What's the thing or maybe the many things that add up in our life that is keeping us from chasing after God? Okay? So the first thing he says is get rid of your idols. The second thing he says is direct your hearts. Or in other words, direct our hearts. Direct our hearts toward, toward God. Like you've heard the expression, follow your heart, right? You've got to follow your heart. You've got to listen to your heart. But listen, that expression, that's like all about what I want. <laughs> My heart wants this relationship. My heart wants this job. My heart wants these shoes, or these clothes, or this car, or this house, or this vacation, and so on. But look, if our heart is chasing after all those things, yeah, we're just following our heart, even if that's not what God has in mind for us. Right? Our hearts are, look, our hearts are deceitful. And they're sinful. And they're often wicked and evil. Samuel doesn't tell them, set aside your idols and follow your heart. He says, direct your heart. Direct your heart. Right? The word direct can also mean to prepare or arrange or establish your heart firmly. Direct is a really good translation or, or a capturing of it here. It's to control the operation of something, to manage and governing it. Right? Direct your heart toward God. That's what he encourages them to do. And I, I think um, the second thing is really important. Right? Like if we just focus on trying to rid ourselves of idols and the things that stand in the way between us and God, sin, idolatry, whatever it is, we're probably going to just end up filling it, our hearts up, our lives up with something else that we're not supposed to. Right? So not only do we need to get rid of what pulls us away from God, we also need to direct our hearts toward Him. We can't just avoid doing wrong. We have to willfully pursue God, right? So that's about directing your heart. 
That's the second thing he tells them. And the third thing he says is serve God alone. Serve God alone. And by serve God alone, I realize like the phrasing of that makes it sound like don't let anyone else help you. <laughs> That's not what I mean by that. It's more like serve God only, right? He's the only one. God is not interested in sharing our affections. Right? Like he doesn't want us to sh- have shared affections for something else. He's, he's jealous for us. He wants our affection. He wants our attention. He wants our focus. He wants our hearts directed toward him. Like just like when you get married, you are pledging your affection and your fidelity to that one person. Right? It's not like you're going to share your affections then with others. Some people do, but it's not what it's supposed to be about. When we choose to follow Jesus, we are pledging our affection and our fidelity to him. And by the way, the, like when it talks about serving God alone, the how to serve God is not some great mystery. right? Yeah, there are a lot of different ways that we can do that serving, but it's not like he's hiding it from him. All we need to do for the most part is look to the word of God, the scriptures, the Bible. Right? That's why he's given it to us. He spells it out for us. Like, you know how to, you want to know how to serve God? Look at the thing that tells us how to serve him. Right? It compels us, the scriptures compel us to do things like love others. To give generously. To share our faith. To use our gifts to serve others. To live a life of worship that honors God with our lives and so on. Right? It's not some great mystery. He doesn't make it complicated. He's not trying to hide it from us. So we are called to serve God alone. Get rid of our idols, direct our hearts toward him, and serve him alone. That's what Samuel calls the people to do. And that's exactly what they did. We'll pick it up at verse 4. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. Right? You can see them getting rid of idols. You can see them turning their hearts, directing their hearts to God. And you can see them serving him. They also, it says, drew water and poured it out, which is really a symbolic thing, right? A symbolic that their hearts were being poured out before the Lord. That's really what that's about. And then it says, And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And by judging it, 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 it means he's, he's leading them. He's ruling over them. He, he, he's also acting as a judge. Again, this is the time of judges where God would raise people up. To, to help deliver his people from their oppressors, right? Samuel is doing that here. Verse 7, Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. Right? So in other words, they saw this big gathering as like a declaration of war. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. 
Right? So they got rid of their idols. They directed their hearts to the Lord. They took a stand to serve Him and to serve Him alone. And then the opposition came. We can count on opposition from the enemy whenever we take a stand for the Lord. And it can be terrifying. Right? So now they tell Samuel the prophet, okay, we did what you asked, but now we're under attack. Uh, we're underpowered. <laughs> we're practically unarmed. So pray to God that he's going to save us. Keep praying to God. Don't stop praying to God. So here's what Samuel does. Verse 9, So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now, just as the pouring out of the water was um, somewhat symbolic, this particular offering is also somewhat symbolic, or at least significant as far as how they went around uh, about this. It says they offered a young, in other words, nursing lamb. And you think about it, when a lamb was born, first of all, there were, like, uh, there were stipulations about sacrifices that could be made. God had put that in place for them. It was eligible to be sacrificed after eight days. Not before then. But if you think about it, a young lamb had so much potential, right? So much life in front of it. It could have grown up to father or deliver baby lambs, right? To kind of grow that flock. It could have produced wool for years. It could have grown and been eaten as meat. All that was cut short. Because this was a young, nursing lamb. Now, I know that for us, we see it as a tragedy when anything lives a short life. Right? Younger than expected. It's awful. There's not much life in life that gets more gut-wrenching than when like a young child dies for some reason. It's hard to sometimes even see that in a, a TV show or a movie. Much less in real life. Much more in real life, I should say. Like we, we think, oh, they had so much life ahead of them. So much potential that will never be realized. Now this is only an animal. But to sacrifice a young lamb was basically setting aside all its potential earthly gain and offering it to the Lord. Giving it to God. And in this case, the entire lamb was set on the altar as a sacrifice. Right? With some other offerings in Scripture, portions of it were used as food for the servants of God. We read about that earlier in 1 Samuel. But not here. Right? This young lamb was completely given over in total sacrifice. It's like it was meant to show that there was nothing being held back from the Lord. Symbolically, they were giving themselves totally and completely to God, no holding back. We may not be offering animal sacrifices. Well, I can tell you here at church, we are not offering animal sacrifices. I don't think any of you are doing that on the side unless it's, you know, a food thing. But, but here's the question. Are we offering up our lives completely to the Lord? Right? Without holding back. Not holding anything back from Him. That's, that's how we worship God. Our lives are given up to Him. 
we're called to be living sacrifices for him. And we should ask ourselves, is that what my life looks like? Right? Is that what my life looks like? Okay. Verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. So it's kind of like if this were a scene in a movie, someone would be on the front lines getting ready for battle, ready to have to fight, shouting back towards Samuel like, come on Samuel, get that fire burning a little bit quicker. They're coming. They're almost here. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Right? Like, like they're underpowered. They're underarmed. On, like, on, practically unarmed. But God defeats the Philistines before them. And then they likely gain this momentum. And as they're going, they're like picking up their weapons of their enemies who are fallen and dead. And they, and they overtake them. Verse 12, it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hands of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. I don't know if you're a different foreign oppressor or country in that area and you see what's happening to the Philistines, you'd be like, yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> I think we're all good. And so the stone that he sets up commemorates the victory that God had accomplished for them. Like God fought for Israel and that was the end of the Philistines' oppression of the promised land in Samuel's days. That God led them to victory. And you know what? It had nothing to do with that ark. It had everything to do with God's people's hearts being in the right place. They got rid of their idols. They directed their hearts to him. And they served him only. Right? The hearts of the whole people mourned for the Lord and hungered for his presence among them, and God moved among them once more. Of course, this morning we're asking this question because I think we, we need to ask ourselves, like, do, do you want that for us as a community of people or for you personally? I mean, I do. I want us to be a community of people who genuinely, deeply long for God. Like, starting with me even more. And to see him work powerfully in our lives. And this morning, that's what we want to spend some time in prayer about. Right over the next chunk of time, we're going to take a little time this morning uh, for prayer. And we're going to take a, a little segment on each one of these things. Getting rid of our idols recognizing what those are, directing our hearts to the Lord and serving Him alone. Now, I, I'm going to explain, there's going to be three segments. The first one is going to be personal. The second one is going to be personal time, but we will have some people 
available to pray with you if you have need for someone to pray for you or uh, that sort of thing. So we'll take some time to do that. And the third one is going to be someone praying for us as a community. And all throughout this time, um, we'll have some background music playing, but we'll also be singing uh, a couple of different times the chorus of, of Light of Fire, which we learned a couple of weeks ago. Really, it's about kind of calling out for God, calling out for Him and asking Him to do this work in our lives. But on our part, we're doing the things that Samuel called the people to as well. Right? We're recognizing and acknowledging that we're getting rid of our idols. We're directing our hearts to Him. And, and we're, we're vowing, we're pledging to serve Him only. So this first time of prayer, I want you to hear this verse. I want to share this verse. And this is about recognizing or surrendering idols in our lives. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. And uh, Rob, just so you know, this is, yeah, um, yeah, it's mixed into the, to the music slides. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with, race, run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Right? Throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles us. Right? That's about our idols. It's about the things that are getting in the way between us and God. Again, we've got to be honest about that. We have to ask God's help to see the sin that entangles us. Like, reveal this to us, God. It's really easy for us to get numb to it, to be blind to like our own sinful inclinations. So we want to take just a couple of minutes this morning to examine our hearts. And I want to say once again something that was mentioned earlier, that getting rid of our idols, that's not an easy thing. Even acknowledging them is sometimes hard. Getting rid of them can be even harder. Right? It's no small task. But remember that having God's favor, that is such a greater gain for us. So this morning, let's take a couple of minutes now and just ask that God would reveal anything that is standing between us and Him that would be considered an idol, sin, something that stands God, we want to acknowledge the things that you may have stirred up in our hearts in the past few moments as we've laid them before you. Ways we've wandered off, ways we've let other things get in the way and hinder our relationship with you. We, we know that there are things in this life that we are just simply called to do and they're part of your plan for us being alive. We know there are so many things that just distract us. And it's almost like that's their purpose. 
That's, that's what they're, they're in the way. And we don't want them to get between us and you anymore. We want to confess these things to you and pray that you would continue to show us, continue to reveal the idols in our lives, that we can get rid of them, that we can set them aside, and that they wouldn't have the stronghold on us that they've had to this point. So we confess these things to you. We lift them up before you. We lift them to you this morning and ask for your forgiveness in the name of Christ. And this second time of prayer is about directing our hearts once again to the Lord. Like we know that there's those things that stand in the way. We can set those aside and something else is going to take its place unless we direct our hearts to God. And um, Psalm 63.1 says this, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you or longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Right? Like we are thirsting for the Lord. We need to be seeking out and crying out to God. In other words, directing our hearts toward Him. When we confess our sins, He's faithful, He's just, He'll forgive our sin. Scripture tells us, it says He will remove our transgressions as far from us as the east is from the west. And it paints a picture of a God who comes running to us when He sees us coming home like the prodigal son, who is still a long way off, but God is waiting for that for us. And then when we get there, we get to experience the love and the steadfastness of, of Jesus' mercy toward us. But He longs for us to seek Him like that verse says, to say, God, You are my God and I'm seeking after You. I'm chasing after You. And so we're directing our hearts to the Lord in that way this morning. Um, I've asked a couple of people, uh, Scott and Ed and Rachel and Pam, to just be available if you need some prayer. Um, I would just ask if you four mind coming up and just taking a seat up here in the front. If you need prayer for something in your life that is, uh, you know, in regards to what we've been talking about, there's an idol that's in the way, there's, there's something standing between you and God that you need someone to pray with you for or about, uh, they're willing to be available. So just come up and pick one. <laughs> pick someone, ask them to pray, give them a little bit of, information about what's going on and they're willing to pray for you. If you don't need to do that, that's okay. But we wanted to make the opportunity available. Uh, it's powerful when someone else prays for us. Um, it's, uh, it's also powerful when we're willing to confess our sins to, to one another. And look, if we were honest about it, we'd all realize that we're all in that same place. We all need God's mercy and forgiveness, and there's all we all have things that stand between us and Him. So this morning we're going to take a few minutes, and if you'd like to to pray a prayer uh, or have someone pray for you, that's simply about directing our heart back to God. Right, we're turning away from the idols, but we're directing our heart to You, God. We're 
seeking after you. That's what this time is about. So let's take a few more minutes of prayer. And again, feel free to come forward if you would like someone to pray with you this morning. rid of our idols, direct our hearts toward the Lord. Thank you for taking the time to do that this morning, whether that's been just in the quietness of this moment where you're at or those that have come forward. Thank you for praying with people. Um, The last part is serve Him only or serve God alone. We're pledging to do so. I think one of the things that we saw in this story was that the people gathered together to pray, but, you know, they they served the Lord, and in doing so, there was opposition and battles to fight. It was not going to be easy for them. We recognized some of the things that have gotten in the way of following Jesus this morning and getting rid of those things. We prayed for this, this kind of reconciliation and turning our hearts back to God so we can experience His love and His steadfastness again, but Then from here forward, we seek to serve Him and Him alone. In Romans 12, 11, it tells us, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's not easy to keep it alive on our own that spiritual fervor, that spiritual zeal, but the Holy Spirit can stir that up in us. And this morning as we kind of wrap up this prayer time, I've asked Scott if he would kind of come and pray and pray for us in regards to uh, us serving the Lord and moving forward from this moment in a posture that just seeks to serve Him. So Scott, if you would pray for us, that would be great. You know, uh, as I pre- uh, prepare to pray, one thing that stands out to me uh, from even before, and it all ties together, though I may not look the part any longer, I used to run hurdles in high school, okay? And actually, my whole family ran hurdles. My older brother ran hurdles. I ran hurdles. My younger brother ran hurdles. He was part of a, a, a team that won a Division three national title, and he was running hurdles. The point is, when we're talking about that, um, that verse in Hebrews, right? Set your, set your eyes on Jesus, the, you know, the perfecter of our faith. When you run hurdles, you have to do that. If you put your gaze on the hurdle in front of you, you're gonna hit it. What you have to do is look at that finish line straight ahead. And it's tough, and it comes with repetition, and it comes with practice. And you'll stumble and you'll fall, but you do this over and over again. And when you run the race, you look at the finish line. You don't look at the hurdle. And those hurdles, I mean, it's idols. Idols get in the way of the race we're trying to run. And you can have all the zeal in the world, but if you're looking at this idol in front of you, you're going to trip and fall over it. You'll never get to that finish line because you're just constantly falling over. So I'm going to pray as well 
for all of us, that we would have that zeal, that we would be able to look at what we read today and, and be once again reminded about God's promise to us and, and, and what happens when we don't put him first, when we make our own way. And we pray with me. Father, just like the, the Israelites that we, that we read about, we too kind of put ourselves first. We too oftentimes do what seems good or right to us. And while we don't always call them idols, we don't always bow down and worship them physically, in our hearts, in our minds, we do just that. We have our own idols of this day, and each and every one of us has it. And I would like to take this, this moment here to just kind of silently acknowledge these idols that we have put and we have uh, put before you, that we have put in place of higher regard than you. Father, please help us find and remember the joy that we have in you, the joy we have in serving you, the, the joy that we have in delighting in you, the joy that we have in seeing how you love us and how you do want to be our focus. Thank you that we get this opportunity to, to do this right now. We just take a moment and, 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 and recognize this and, and confess it in our hearts as well. Again, Father, we, we build so many idols that aren't you. And we convince ourselves that they're better than you or just as good as you or they're fine for the short time because I still love God, but I seem to love this other thing more. Help us find that zeal again. Help us find that passion once again. And let us be reminded of your promises. Your jealousy for us isn't the jealousy that we think of in our own sinful ways. Your jealousy for us is because you know how good it is for us to focus on you. You created us. You created us for you. We know it breaks your heart to see your creation, who you intended to have this relationship, turn our hearts and our focuses to something else or some things else. May we find our zeal, may we find our joy, may we run this race with the endurance that we get from you and your Holy Spirit, and may we focus on you fully through it all. Be with us here, invigorate us and remind us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com.